but for the rest of us, we are in the book of Proverbs. If you have your own Bible, it's right in the middle, right after Psalms. Proverbs chapter 1. There's something wonderful about seeing a third of the congregation just exit. It's wonderful. Proverbs chapter 1. We're looking at wisdom for the way. Because salvation is not only about the destination, it is also about the journey. We need wisdom for the way. Proverbs chapter 1, starting in verse 20. God's word says this. Wisdom cries aloud in the street. In the markets, she raises her voice. At the head of the noisy streets, she cries out. At the entrance of the city gates, she speaks. How long, O simple ones, will you love being simple? How long will scoffers delight in the scoffing and fools hate knowledge? If you turn at my reproof, behold, I will pour out my spirit to you. I will make my words known to you. Because I have called and you refuse to listen, have stretched out my hand and no one has heeded. Because you have ignored all my counsel and would have none of my reproof, I also will laugh at your calamity. I will mock when terror strikes you. When terror strikes you like a storm and your calamity comes like a whirlwind, when distress and anguish come upon you, then they will call upon me, but I will not answer. Then they will seek me diligently, but will not find me. Because they hated knowledge and did not choose the fear of the Lord, would have none of my counsel and despised all my reproof. Therefore, they shall eat the fruit of their way and have their fill of their own devices. For the simple are killed by their turning away, but whoever listens to me will dwell secure and will be at ease without dread of disaster. This is the word of the Lord. Have you ever learned a skill that later proved useless? I've got a few. Some of us uh, grew up in an era where it costs money to text per text. And so being the geniuses that we are, we, we developed the skill of writing in, in shorthand. Great became GR, the number eight, to show that something was funny instead of saying, I am currently laughing out loud at what you have written me. We just wrote LOL. Absolutely useless skill now. Some of us send texts with paragraphs and punctuation and greetings. Some of you write footnotes in the text you sent me. There's absolutely no need to abbreviate texts anymore. You can send as long of a text as you want. I had a buddy who had another useless skill. He, would, he could play the recorder, but with his nose. <laughs> absolutely useless skill, but he spent time cultivating it, and he got pretty good. I bring this up because I believe, uh, I believe as you'll see on the slide in just a moment, I believe biblical wisdom is rightly defined as skill in the art of godly living. It's a skill. It's not only a gift. It's not this magical thing that is just bestowed upon some. It's a skill. And skills 
need to be cultivated, developed. Skills are abilities that are cultivated. We don't just have skills, we work on them, we improve them, we master them. So the question for us is this, how do we know the skill of wisdom is worth our time? How do we know that we're not just going to add this skill to the pile labeled useless in years to come? My hope is that this morning you will see the worth of wisdom as we look at how wisdom pursues God's people, wisdom protects God's people, and wisdom pilots God's people. Looking first at how wisdom pursues God's people, in the minds of many, wisdom is elusive, right? It's like a mystery to be solved or a secret code that only some people unlocked like how to drive a stick shift or how to play chess really well, right? It's this mystery. How can you do that? But look at the completely different picture that God paints in his word. Proverbs chapter 1, verses 20 and 21. Wisdom cries aloud. In the markets, she raises her voice. She goes to the head of the noisy streets and cries out. She goes to the entrance of the city gates where everyone has to pass and speaks. Wisdom is here portrayed as as a woman. This, This virtue is personified in a human woman. Not a mysterious and elusive woman, but one who is crying out, raising her voice, speaking out loud. In fact, in verse 23, she explicitly says to anyone who would listen, anyone, If you turn up my reproof, behold, I will pour out my spirit to you. I will make my words known to you. This is not a woman playing hard to get, right? Quite the opposite. She's pursuing. And not only that, she's doing so. Look where she's doing it. In very common places. In the market. In the streets. At the city gates where everyone has to pass. She's not in colleges. She's not at the capitals. She's not in the, in the conference rooms of the CEOs. Public places for public, common, ordinary people. And at this point, you might be thinking about those who are not wise, right? Maybe even yourself. If wisdom pursues us, why don't I have it? Why doesn't everyone have it? The very next verses give us an uncomfortable answer to that question. Verses 24 and 25, because I have called you and you refuse to listen. I've stretched out my hand and no one has heeded. You have ignored all my counsel and would have none of my reproof. It's not that we were searching for wisdom and couldn't find it. It's that wisdom went looking for us and we ignored it. We refuse to listen. We refuse to obey. As a parent, it's hard not to agree with that sentence as I think of my kids and all the very many things that I tell them to do. But this idea actually reminded me of a, of a teammate of mine, basketball teammate. He would, um, he would often get upset that he was sitting on the bench more than he was playing. He wanted more playing time. And he treated it like a puzzle that he needed to solve, like a, like a mystery to crack, right? Like, what do I need to do to get more playing time? But to the rest of us, every time he went on one of these rants, we would just laugh. 
Because the answer was painfully obvious. The coach said it at literally every practice. Don't just hold the ball, pass it. Don't dribble so much, pass to your teammates. Hey, don't shoot wild contested shots when two people are trying to cover you. Pass the ball. I'll give you two guesses as to what he practiced each and every time he was alone. That's right, shooting and dribbling. He never once practiced passing to the watching world, to every one of his teammates, to everyone in the stands, to his parents. It was obvious. Pass the ball and you get playing time. But he treated it like a mystery. What do I do? I don't know what to do. Should I shoot better? Should I dribble more? Pass the ball. Did my friend need to work harder? No. Did my friend need more talent? No. He needed to listen and then obey because it wasn't a mystery. It wasn't a secret code. It was a command that cried out to him and pursued him at every turn. And what I want us to see this morning is that this isn't only about wisdom. It's about salvation. Because we imagine ourselves as neutral seekers. We imagine ourselves as journeymen, detectives in search of the truth. But if we believe what God says in his word, that we must confess that that's not reality. According to Ephesians and many other places, but we'll go to Ephesians this morning. Ephesians chapter 2. Paul starts writing to a church just like ours, and he says, remember that you were dead. You weren't injured. You weren't neutral. You were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you once walked. You were following the course of this world. You were following the prince of the power of the air. The spirit, the same spirit that's now at work in the sons of disobedience among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind. And because of that, we were by nature children of wrath, just like the rest of mankind. That's who we are. That's our starting point. We're not neutral. We're not just innocent little children who are tainted by our environment. We are by nature on the inside, in our DNA, Children of wrath, ignoring God and ignoring wisdom. That's the uncomfortable truth. But a beautiful truth follows it. Because the, the very next question is, how can anyone be saved if we start off as sinners and enemies the same way we acquire wisdom? But God. We were all foolish following foolishness, following the path of Satan and hell, following the path of this world, but God. But God, rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead, not once we got our act together, even when we were still dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. And everyone said, If you're not going to say amen at that, I mean, you've got some work to do. Christian, you were pursued by God. You were pursued by wisdom far before you recognized either one of them. Far before you pursued either one. And that knowledge should do nothing less than encourage you and motivate you to pursue both in return. So I invite you, 
Even as I'm speaking to myself, I speak to you. Turn. Recalibrate. Whatever you are currently pursuing, whether it's peace or power or pleasure, whether it's rest or recognition or relationships, God has not only pursued you with salvation, he has pursued you with the wisdom necessary to live out that salvation. So rather than spending your energies and your time pursuing other things that are just not worth it, listen to the voice of wisdom and heed its call. So we've seen that wisdom pursues God's people, but wisdom also protects God's people. As you listen, as you heed, you can rest in the fact that wisdom not only pursues God's people, it protects God's people. Look at verses 32 and 33. We are told that the simple are killed by their turning away. The complacency of fools destroys them. But whoever listens to me will dwell secure, will be at ease, will without dread of disaster. Because we live in a broken world, disasters happen all the time. People get robbed, people get hurt, people die all the time. There are hurricanes, tornadoes, tsunamis. And so we have to be careful not to read this in such a way that we start blaming people for the things that are happening to them. Not everyone who is hurt or poor is foolish. Jesus addressed that in his Gospels. And yet, it's also true that wisdom offers a unique protection. If you're walking in a neighborhood known for crime, at night, waving cash around, and then you get robbed, it's not fair to say, oh, God didn't protect me. That's not fair to say. No, my friend, God gave you a sword, a helmet, and armor, and you went to war with a pool noodle and a t-shirt. It's not fair to say God didn't protect me. We sometimes imagine God's protection as if he were like a, like a helicopter parent, like a hovering parent, right? He's always lingering around protecting us from the enemy. But, and there's some truth to that. But he also gives us wisdom to protect us. In Proverbs chapter 20, we're told, The sluggard does not plow in the autumn. He will seek at harvest and have nothing. How can you be protected from hunger and not having everything you need? Yes, you pray. Yes, the Lord can miraculously multiply fish and loaves. Absolutely. But how does the Lord most naturally and commonly provide for his people? Through planning and hard work. That's wisdom. It's not an elusive secret. It's not a mystery waiting to be unlocked. It's there. It pursues us and it protects us. How about Proverbs chapter 18, verse 17? The one who states his case first seems right until the other one comes and examines him. You want to be protected from believing lies? You want to be protected from defending the wrong person? Well, we could ask the Lord to speak directly into our ears with an audible voice. But first, let's listen to what he's already told us. Let's start by listening to both parties before I, I'm giving a sign to the deacons not to get the children yet. That's, that's what this is. I'm not, I'm not shaking my head at you guys. Uh, before we start asking for the Lord to speak audibly into our ears, let, let's, let's use our eyes. 
Let's read what he's told us. Let's start first by listening to both parties before just believing the first one to speak. And we could continue with examples, Christian, but the point is this. The Lord graciously warns us and instructs us against the dangers of this world with wisdom. Because wisdom protects God's people. And and we rejoice. Because even when we are foolish... I won't, raise, I won't ask you to raise your hand if you've ever been foolish. But when we've been foolish and we face the consequences of those bad decisions, or even when we haven't been foolish and we face the consequences of living in a broken world, the wisdom of God protects his people from the greatest, worst danger. Because our greatest enemy is not sin or is not hunger or financial ruin or physical harm. It is sin. Our greatest enemy is not having enough food or not having enough money or not having enough health. Our greatest enemy is sin. That's the greatest danger. Sin puts us in danger of not being able to stand before God and facing only his wrath. Sin makes it so that we want to turn away from the call of wisdom instead of toward it. We just as often develop skill in the art of godly living as we develop skill in the art of hiding our sin from others or appearing holy by saying the right things and appearing to do the right things. Because what we really want to protect from is judgment from others. But God offers us the protection we really need. The wisdom of God determined to give us his son. We are protected from the danger of our sin because Jesus faced that danger head on that's what happened at the cross in first corinthians chapter one we see that the perfect son of god who never sinned and therefore was not in danger faced the wrath we should have faced and this is not only cause for rejoicing it's cause to get to work this is what paul says jews demand signs show us greeks seek wisdom tell us But we preach Christ crucified, and that's a stumbling block both to Jews who seek signs and folly to Gentiles who seek wisdom. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. The power of God in Jesus to protect you from sin and evil leads to the wisdom of God in Jesus to live in a way that is good and pleasing to him. One more time. The power of God in Jesus to protect you, to deliver you from sin and evil, leads, it goes somewhere, it leads you to the wisdom of God in Jesus to live in a way that is good and pleasing to him. And so, Christian, I remind you of wisdom's protective call in verse 33. Whoever listens to me, whoever listens to me will dwell secure and will be at ease without dread of disaster. You will be at peace when you listen to God, when you dwell in Christ, when you abide in his promises, when you keep his commandments. If you love me, keep my commandments. That's wisdom. You will be at peace, so love your neighbor, Christian. Invite them to your home. Invite them into your lives, and you will be at ease. 
Deal righteously with others. Tell them the truth. Don't just present things in a way that make you seem like the hero and everyone else the enemy. Tell the truth. Be transparent. You will be at ease. Give generously of your wealth even when it hurts. Give generously of your time, your energy. Humble yourself. You will be at ease. Do all these things, not so that God will protect you from danger, but because God has already, in Christ, the wisdom and power of God protected you from your greatest danger, which is sin. But now the question is, okay, how do I do that? How do I live the life that God has called me to live? What do I do? How do I divide my time? Where do I start? The good news is that not not only does God give us wisdom that pursues us and wisdom that protects us, he gives us wisdom that pilots us. Wisdom pilots God's people. We're in chapter 2 now of Proverbs. And chapter 2 starts with a lot of conditions. If. If you receive my words and treasure up my commandments with you, making your ear attentive to wisdom and inclining your ear to understanding, and it continues with other conditions. But we pick it up in verse 5. If you do all those things, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. Do this, and you get this. My question is, is that it? Is that the end? Can you keep that up there for one second? Is that the end of the story? Do this and get this and then I'm done. Nailed it. Mission accomplished. Goal achieved. Once you've attained wisdom, once you've attained the fear of the Lord, the knowledge of God, is that it? No. Because all those things are for a purpose. Wisdom not only pursues and protects, it pilots God's people toward and through their goal. And the goal of salvation is not forgiveness of sins. One more time so you can quote me correctly in your Monday morning email. The goal of salvation is not forgiveness of sins. That's not the end goal. We find the goal a few verses later in chapter 2, verse 20. The goal of having fear of the Lord and finding the knowledge of God is so that you will walk in the way of the good. And keep to the paths of the righteous. That's the goal. The goal of salvation is not forgiveness of sins, Christians. It's new life. It's to walk with your God just as Adam and Eve walked in the garden. But because sin destroyed that relationship, our sin had to be forgiven and destroyed in order that we might once more walk in the way of good and righteousness. The goal of our salvation is not only to protect us from our sins, it's to pilot us to the right paths. Imagine being taken up in a helicopter ride. Okay, You're sailing high above the ocean, looking out at the city, when all of a sudden, the pilot leaves his chair and starts putting on a parachute. Naturally, you ask him what he's doing. And he just calmly says, well... I got you this far. But don't worry. This helicopter is made from the strongest metals and alloys. And you have seatbelts. You'll be fine. How might you react? After passing out, maybe, you might get angry and confused. Why? 
Because the helicopter's job is not mainly to protect you from danger, is it? No, the helicopter's job is to get you somewhere. The helicopter's job is to pilot you to a certain destination. And this is where theology matters. We cannot think of our salvation as simply an escape from hell or even entrance into heaven. Yes, Jesus died on the cross to save us from our sins, but Jesus died on the cross to save us from our sins so that, so that what? 1 Peter chapter 2. He himself, Jesus himself, bore our sins in his body on the tree that, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. That's your goal, Christian. That's, that's the, the, the carrot hanging over you. That's, that, that's the poster you hang up on your bedroom wall. That's the goal, living to righteousness. How do I do that? How do I, how do, I do that? Right? Should, should I spend my money on something I need or should I give it to the poor? Yikes. Should I surround myself with good, strong Christian examples? Or should I be witnessing to people who are not great examples? Should I speak up or be quiet? Scripture says both. Which one do I do? And I'm sure you've got your own questions you could add to this list. But the answer to all of these questions is the same. Wisdom. We need to develop the skill, the wisdom it takes to not get so angry and anxious about every little thing. To not continue to fall into the same habits of addiction. To not say the first thing that comes to our mind, but to take a moment to season our speech with grace, whether we're speaking online or in person. Where do we get that wisdom? Where do we get that crucial life skill? You'll have to come back next week as we look at the source of wisdom. But this week, I'll leave you with this. Wisdom is not necessary for salvation, but it is necessary to live out that salvation. Wisdom is not necessary in order to be saved, but wisdom is necessary in order to live out that salvation, and therein lies its worth. In this church, we've said over and over again, that we are all about living out the gospel together. Because the gospel is not only something that confronts, comforts, and brings peace. The gospel is life-changing, reality-altering good news. That Jesus has taken on the wrath that our sins deserve so that we would be forgiven. It's the reality-altering, life-changing news that we now have new hearts that love God and desire to do His commandments. But all of that takes wisdom. If we are to live out the gospel, if we're not just waiting till we die to get to heaven, but if we're actually living out our salvation right here and right now, that takes wisdom. And in His grace, in His abundant grace, the Lord Jesus Christ has pursued us with wisdom. He has protected us with wisdom. And he has piloted us with wisdom. In short, I can leave you with no better news than the fact that he has given us everything we need to live out the gospel together. 
which includes this table that you see before us. So join me as we prepare to take part in this meal. Join me as we pray. Dear God, thank you for this table. Thank you for your word. Thank you for the gift you have given us in your son. Thank you that the gospel is not just you've saved us and now we have to get our act together. Thank you that the gospel is not you've taken us part of the way and it's up to us to finish the race. Thank you that the gospel, thank you that the good news that we rejoice in is that Jesus has saved us in the beginning, in the middle, and in the end. All the way through, we are piloted through our Savior Jesus Christ. We rejoice in that good news and we hold fast to it as we come to this table. We pray this. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm going to give a moment for our children to come in, for our elders to come forward, and for me to drink some water. And as our children come in, they're going to hear... They're going to see what this table is all about. That's why, that's why, kids, we invite you in here. That's why we make sure you're in here in time to see and hear what this table is all about. Because this is, you've heard the gospel for your ears. This is the gospel for your eyes. This is something you can see. So Christian and non-Christian alike, I, I want you to look at this table and see beyond what your eyes can see because in this table is everything we've just heard about our salvation there are tiny pieces of bread in these plastic cups some of you can barely see it back there can, can you see this little tiny piece of bread yeah what's actually what this actually is is how god pursued us through his son jesus christ because Jesus took on a body just like ours, flesh and bone and tissue and ligaments and muscle. He had eyebrows just like you do. He took on a body just like ours. This bread represents his body and his loving pursuit of his people. Over here, we have tiny servings of juice in these little plastic cups. This is easier to see. It's a darker color. There it is. And that little juice doesn't represent juice. It shows us how God protects us from the consequences of our sins. Because our sins deserve death. They deserve blood. But Jesus spilled his blood so that we didn't have to spill ours. This cup represents protection from sin. And together, they form an appetizer. They form a preview of a much greater, far surpassing meal that is meant to pilot you towards your goal of salvation and righteousness. There's only one thing that should stop you from taking part of this table right now, and that is living a life of sin. If you've never trusted your life to Jesus, or you believe at one point you have, but you're now living a life of sin, 
of unrepentant sin. I would invite you to remember the words of Paul. You are drinking, you are storing up wrath for yourself if you continue to take part of this table. This table is not yet for you. Instead, take a moment to consider what it is you see as worthy. What do you place worth in? What do you assign worth to? If ultimate worth is not in Jesus Christ, in your mind, let this cup and this bread pass you by. To have this table is to confess that Jesus is our only hope, that Jesus is Lord. And so to take of it is not genuine if you are living in sin. But if you are weak and you feel your need of a Savior, come to this table and find strength. If you are broken over your sin, if you wonder how God can continue to put up with you, even though you keep coming back to the same sins, the same habits, come to this table. This table is exactly for people like you who recognize their need of a Savior. Come, find abundant, never-ending, overflowing grace. This bread is gluten-free, and I'm going to invite all of you to hold the elements until we can partake of them together. Until then, pray with me. Lord, thank you for this table. Thank you for the good news that it represents. Thank you that in it we find strength that we do not have, encouragement that we cannot supply, strengthening of our faith, comforting for our doubts. And so I pray that as we take of it, it would strengthen us to live the life that you have called us to live in Jesus Christ. And so we pray this in his name.